0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we have one of our very favorite guests who's been with us a number of times, and that's Lynn Minges. Lynn is the president and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. And what an industry uh, for North Carolinians because travel and tourism is so important to us, what an industry are, that has had some ups and downs in the last couple of four or five years, uh, ups and downs. Uh, COVID, of course, played a huge part of that. And so, Lynn, I can't wait for you to give us a progress report on exactly where our restaurants and our uh, lodger, lodging people, the hotels and motels, stand. So welcome to the program. Glad to have you back. And give us sort of an overview of where you stand right now.
2: Well, Don. first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to spend uh, some time with you and and with your listeners from across the state. Uh, And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about an industry that you know I love and and hold dear. Um, We're proud to represent about 20,000 restaurants, food service establishments across the state and about 2,000 lodging properties. So combined about 22,000 businesses Um, and our association works every day to try to Uh, support those businesses to make sure that the environment in which they operate is, you know, is is most conducive to their business success. Uh, We focus a lot on, right now we're focused a lot on rebuilding their workforce. I hope we'll have some time to talk about that Um, and some of the challenges that they continue to face um, in the aftermath of COVID-19. Don, it's uh, it's also interesting that I'm here with you today as we uh, approach the three-year mark of COVID. It was March 17th of 2020, when restaurants were closed and for a period of about eight weeks it didn't operate across the state. There were stay-at-home orders in place, um, large gatherings in hotel rooms and conference centers and events and sporting venues were, were banned. And so with that, as you know, all too well, um, our industry really, you know, took the brunt of, of you know, the, the economic fallout from the pandemic and we're slowly but surely getting better Um, Things are getting better, but we're certainly not back where we need to be. So still a lot of work to be done around that, around our recovery.
1: Well, and it's interesting because uh, I think the last time you told me, approximately 10% of the state's workforce, 10% is associated with uh, the restaurants, mostly restaurants in this case, I think, or either that or motels or hotels.
2: That's That's, a huge part of our that's right. Really, before the pandemic, uh, we employed about 530,000 North Carolinians, which really was probably closer to 11 percent of our state's workforce. Um, and on that one day, on March 17th of 2020, we, we displaced about half of those, um, leaving those folks without work for a period, for many of them, for a period of about eight weeks. Uh, some of them left and went to other industries. Some of them started businesses of their own. Um, Of course, there were some restaurants that were able to retain those workers, even though they didn't have a whole lot of work for them. They were able to pivot and do takeout and delivery, um, change their business models a bit. Many of them used the opportunity to do some improvements inside of their restaurants, those that had money to do that. Um, But largely, you know, our our workers in our industry and our business owners and operators really took a hit. And um, things are getting better, but we've still got a a long way to go. But, yeah, it's a huge industry, 11 percent of our state's workforce on a good day and um, work to do to kind of get back to
1: that now. Well, you know, what's interesting about anything that uh, is similar to uh, what we had happen on that uh, particular day three years ago or so, uh, but uh, people, business people are so resourceful because so many of the, the restaurants now have learned new models, and now you drive up to restaurants and they reserve reserved places for people to pick up, take-out orders and uh, the takeout situation has gotten much easier. Uh, so, uh, in many cases, I guess uh, uh, opportunity has knocked, and uh, some of these businesses have responded. Uh, that's all. That's always interesting to me.
2: Yeah, well, that is true. I think COVID really um, hastened a whole lot of uh, things that maybe were already in the works. There were a whole lot of technologies that were being tested out around the in the industry. And uh, some restaurateurs were embracing that new technology, while others were just a little bit hesitant to do so. I think um, COVID really hastened the uh, uptick and the adoption of some of those new technologies. So you know, we began to see obviously takeout. You mentioned takeout and delivery have uh, they, they really picked up during COVID? They continue today. Those are a very strong part of uh, of, of the business model. Um, many restaurateurs kind of pivoted to a quick serve concept so you know counter serve uh or for folks you know call folks they come up to the counters um they've done contactless payment uh and ordering uh you know menu with qr codes uh, so that people use their phones they take a picture of a qr code they pull up the menu uh, that serves a whole lot of purposes. It's um, it, it's cost-efficient way of doing business, but it also allows restaurateurs to change their offerings on the fly. So from day to day, they can change the menu offerings kind of depending on what they have available. They can also change prices depending on what their suppliers charge them on a given day. And that's a, a, a very much an unknown day to day for many of our members. Um, and then payments online have become, you know, just kind of a, a normal way of doing business. So a lot of those technologies are still in place. And yes, as you mentioned, uh, pickup, takeout and delivery models uh, continue to be very strong across our state.
1: What about business travel and uh, and conventions and business meetings? Uh, that was certainly an important factor for a number of lodging uh, organizations and uh, your hotels and motels, has that returned uh, to the level that is a a sustainable model?
2: Well, we're seeing very strong demand uh, for travel across the state, Um, particularly North Carolina. North Carolina is particularly strong in leisure travel. We've always enjoyed a large percentage of overall travel to be leisure travel, about 85%. Are, are leisure travelers, uh, meaning, you know, those are individuals who choose to take a trip to the mountains or the coast or a weekend getaway in a city or they go to sporting events or concerts and stay overnight. So, you know, we're seeing that really, really strong. The area that really hasn't come back and, and still lags and may lag for some period of time is business travel. And it's largely because uh, we've learned to do things like Zoom um, we there's less need for business traveler, business business me- people, men and women to travel for work. They can often hop on a Zoom, do a sales call, do a sales meeting, regional meetings, things that folks used to have to travel to, they they now are able to do virtually because we were forced to do that during COVID. Um, so those continue to lag a bit. And even with meetings and conventions, that business is certainly back. The number of meetings and conventions being booked are are strong right now. Uh, but in some cases we're not seeing the pickup. Um, I will say that last week I attended um the the tourism the state's tourism conference in Asheville and uh, have they had record attendance. So though that may be true for some groups, that was a group that enjoyed really strong attendance and we hope that that's a trend that will continue that we'll see, you know, people coming back, feeling comfortable coming back to conferences, meetings, and events. And I think, you know, a large part of that is due and will continue to be due to the fact that um, COVID rates are down and people feel more comfortable just in general being around large large groups again. So we're, we're hoping that will rebound, but the the day in, day out transient business travel is, is the segment that continues to lack.
1: Well, you know, one of the things we've noticed and, and we enjoyed using uh, the opportunity to get together with our salespeople across the state in our own company with Zoom. Well, one of the things we have noticed is that uh, uh, there is a lack of contact when you're doing Zoom, where you cannot see whoever is lecturing, whoever is leaving, whoever is on the panel, cannot see the expressions of those who are in the conference. And uh, I don't know if other people are having that same problem, but certainly we're finding out that uh, Zoom is second best to being in person. It is not as good for training. Uh, as uh, in-person conferences. Uh, I, I'm assuming that other people are having the same uh, uh, experience.
2: Well, I, I do think that's true. I think we use uh, virtual technology as a tool because we had to do that. And we find that sometimes it works pretty well in a crunch. It certainly saves yeah. money so folks don't have to travel from around the state for a, a short meeting. But there is nothing to replace the the human element of people being together around a common cause, common purpose, learning together, sharing ideas, and as you said, you know, looking each other in the eye, uh, giving folks hugs. There's nothing to replace that. And that's what, you know, hospitality is all about. So uh, I do think we're going to continue to see people uh, traveling and, and you know, continuing to desire more travel for business purposes, because I think the quality of those meetings is much better in person than it is via a virtual format.
1: The businesses, uh, the restaurants that uh, had a substantial Home delivery business before COVID, like uh, the the pizza takeout and so forth. Uh, I I I'm assuming that they didn't see a substantial drop. Uh, are they I, seeing a substantial increase? <laughs> Is, uh, like, I, I
2: do think the you know the the pizza model was one that sustained really really well during COVID. They sold record numbers of pizzas because it was already a, a takeout delivery sort of concept, and they were able to continue that without interruption. We also saw drive-throughs, folks, you know, a lot of the quick serve restaurants, a lot of the concepts that have drive-through capability in place, they were able to uh, continue that without any interruption. And then, you know, some of the full service restaurants, fast casual family dining, were able to pivot and do they added drop-through windows or takeout windows, and they met with some pretty good success. But the early adapters, the ones who did well and never really shuttered and their business models thrived, were those takeout delivery concepts that already had that concept in place, um, as well as you know, many of the quick serve restaurants that already do drop-throughs. And those continue to be very strong today. I will say, Don, that. Many of those drive through concepts, even today, are not operating their dining rooms. You probably notice as you travel around the state, I do often, uh, some of your listeners may as well, when you drive through uh, or you pull up to a quick serve restaurant, sometimes the dining room's open and sometimes it's not. And as I ask um, owners and operators why that is, you know, are you opening your dining rooms? They often tell me that it's a day to day decision because they're not sure how many workers they're going to have. So even today, now that they can be open, In many cases, they're not just because they don't have sufficient workers to serve in the dining rooms, clean those dining rooms, service those bathrooms. So they just choose to close and pivot to just a a takeout model. So those concepts have continued to do very, very well.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is we've been hearing talk of a recession for some time now. It really hasn't come to bear yet that I've seen in in a large way. But What effect does that have on how many times people eat out or uh, do they change their dining habits because of uh, increased prices from either inflation or the threat of uh, a recession?
2: Well, inflation is definitely having an impact. Um, Business owners I talked with today are operating on pretty thin profit margins because the cost of labor is higher than it's ever been the cost of supplies, the food uh, that they buy and the, the articles they use to serve and run their restaurants and, and hotels are higher than they've ever been before. Um, so those costs are up. They'll do anything they have to do to try not to increase menu prices, but about 91% of restaurants across our state have raised menu prices just out of necessity. So um, inflation is very much a factor and will continue to be as we as we move forward, I think.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's certainly a uh, uh... A factor in, at least mentally, I'm not sure how, and of course, that's just as important when you come to consumers, is what they think is what may actually be happening. Uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in another segment. Lynn Minge's is our guest. She's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, and we'll talk more about what's going on in that area of our economy when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers.
0: We continue with Carolina newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina newsmakers. Our guest this week is Lynn Minges and uh, she has been with us a number of times. Uh, she is the president and CEO of the North Carolina restaurant and lodging association. Uh, and already we've established the fact that almost 11% of our state's workforce is associated with uh, either a restaurant or a lodging organization. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting how big uh, a part of our economy uh, these two areas are. Lynn, we were talking about employment. Everybody is having trouble finding employees. Um, what are some of the ways that uh, your members are trying to keep their labor force where they, it needs to be? You mentioned earlier that sometimes restaurants don't operate um at at, at, at a fair way the the way they want to because they simply don't have enough people
2: well that's right we we recently did a survey don uh, of north carolina operators and 75 percent of them told us that they don't have enough employees to support their existing consumer demand so you know consumers want to come back they want to come back in restaurants but restaurants and hotels both are having to turn those customers away because they don't have staff to support those needs um, and so, you know, the reality, the rest of the story, and sometimes I feel like a Debbie Downer, but the rest of the story is our industry's not back. Sales volume is pre-COVID, so we're at about $30 billion in sales right now versus $27 billion before COVID. So you would look at the sales volume and think we're back, but in reality, because they don't have workers, they're operating at limited capacity, uh, both in restaurants and hotels. or leaving taking rooms out of inventory because they don't have staff to service those rooms and those guests. And they're leaving uh, tables unfilled because they don't have staff to wait on and serve uh, the guests who come into restaurants. So really, until we get that um, that workforce challenge addressed, we're not going to be back at full capacity. And that's really where I'm spending most of my time these days. And most of the thought leaders that I uh, share you know conversations with are focused around this whole challenge of you know workforce and how we do rebuild our workforce. Um, you know, if we think about it. This is not a problem that's unique to the hospitality industry. There are other sectors across our state who are facing workforce challenges, in large part because so many people retired during COVID or in the years after COVID. They just went ahead and said, OK, it's time to leave. And so they're leaving the workforce altogether. We have a decline in birth rates across America and here in North Carolina as well. And so we're seeing you know a, a shrinking workforce, People entering fewer people to enter the workforce to take the jobs of those that left. And then more and more folks, a I, I, recent number showed that about 15% of people that who are currently in the workforce are actually in their own kind of business. And so they're not really available for work. So all of that taken together, our industry is facing some real challenges, not unlike those that other sectors are facing. But I think, you know, the differentiator is that in the hospitality business, we're in the people business, we've got people who, you know, have to uh, you know, we have to have those to cook in restaurants and to serve guests, and we have to have people to run run hotels across the state. It, we, we are hospitality. We depend on people. And so that's where we're really spending our time right now is what is it we do to get people to come back into restaurants and hotels so that we can operate at full capacity. It's a big challenge.
1: What are some of the uh, unique ways that some of your businesses are addressing this problem? Are they increasing benefits? Are they... Uh... I've noticed a couple of places where um, uh, they have a now hiring sign and they will, uh, when you look at uh, the benefits, they're offering help with college education, for example.
2: Yeah, that's right. I think they're trying a lot of things. And interestingly, we spent time traveling across the state in uh, kind of town halls, listening to owners and operators talk about their challenges and talk about some of the things that they're trying. I'd say first and foremost, uh, Pay in restaurants and hotels has never been higher. Um, most every restaurant, quick serve restaurants, you know, are starting workers at $15 an hour. You know, two or three years ago, it was minimum wage, $725. So wages in restaurants and hotels is at an all-time high. They're increasing wages just to get employees. Many of them are offering benefits in a way that they didn't before. So things like paid sick leave, health insurance benefits. Sometimes it may not be the full health insurance benefit. They may offer telemed programs um they're offering you know paid time off um offering signing bonuses things of that nature they're offering bonuses to employees who help them find other employees signing bonuses um so you know lots and lots of things they're trying most of them are advertising jobs online um but not having a whole lot of success with with um applicants and and not having a whole lot of success with people actually showing up for interviews or taking the jobs It's an ongoing challenge. I looked just yesterday at one of the online platforms, and there are several, but one of the the popular ones, and there were 21,000 jobs in North Carolina for for restaurants and hotels. 21,000 that were posted yesterday, trying to recruit to fill 21,000 jobs. And you've got to imagine, there are probably more out there. There are probably restaurants that would expand capacity if they thought they could get workers. Uh, 21,000 job vacancies just yesterday. Um, And that was just on one platform that I checked. So, you know, just a a huge need to get workers back. And I think they're, you know, business owners are being just as creative as they possibly can, um, but still coming up short of having all the workers we need to serve the many needs of our industry.
1: One of the things that's interesting about this is uh, we don't hear any cry for an increase in the minimum wage law because... (laughs) Uh, employees are so valuable these days that company the minimum wage is just not a thing like it's a thing of the past
2: well that's right you know wages are a lot like supply and demand uh, when there are fewer workers uh you know wages go up because people have to compete for those workers and you know the um uh, the free enterprise system really does work and I think this is evidenced uh by what we're seeing right now with uh you know these wages that just you know he, the all-time high levels
1: Is there any uh, moves in technology that would uh, help uh, eliminate some of the needs for some of the positions?
2: There there are some uh, technology platforms that are being tried. You know, obviously the online ordering saves time. The online uh, payments save time. Um, There are a lot of back of the house technologies that some restaurants are putting in place. I've even seen robots that will come out and deliver your food. Um, and so there are some concepts that even here in North Carolina they're trying that so you place your order on your phone a little robot comes out to the table or does room service for that matter uh delivers the food and they go away so uh you know they're trying lots and lots of things but um but really we need workers and I think in lieu of the workers um what we're we're seeing is people just really scaling back there are many many hotels in North Carolina full service hotels that don't have room service today because they don't have uh, you know, folks to to do that um, no. in, in a resort setting where they may have had five restaurants, only two are open because they don't have staff to manage that. So, you know, we're really seeing more scale back. I just don't think we can automate sufficiently to be able to serve customers in the way that that we expect and they expect, but it's helping.
1: You mentioned you don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but the truth of the matter is there, this is not a short range problem. This is a long range problem. And uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how any of us are going to adjust to it.
2: It is. I read a, a report recently by Lightcast, which is a they do economic development reporting and forecasting. And in, in the report, they they cited a statistic that was pretty scary. And it said that these trends we're seeing are expected to continue and that by 20 by the year 2100, two thirds of our U.S. population will be dependent on a workforce and producers uh, you know that's that comprises one third of our population if you think about it one third of our whole population will be supporting two-thirds who don't work um scary statistic to, to think about that
1: well the other thing you mentioned is the price of the product uh, that the restaurants are having to buy to serve uh, the those producers are also having trouble finding labor and so, consequently, that's running that price up. And so, right. they're, almost they're everywhere you trouble. look, it, it's yeah. not a good, it's not a happy picture.
2: Right. They're having trouble finding products, but they're having uh, they're having to pay. You know, truckers are making more. Uh, those who you know pack and or pick and pack the food are making more uh, because they're having trouble. And so, all those costs get passed on to the the end user, which is, in our case, the the restaurant or hotelier, and then ultimately the customer. Um, You know, many of our restaurants, about 91% of them say that they've increased menu prices. And though that's the thing they don't want to do, uh, they really don't have much choice. So kind of back to your question about earlier about inflation, uh, you know, I think folks are always conscious of the fact, like, how high can you continue to raise prices and still see demand? And there is concern about that. I will say on the flip side, uh, hoteliers are commanding uh, you know, record prices for rooms across the country. I don't know if you've traveled any lately, but hotel room rates have really escalated and they're having sufficient demand to command those. And so in, in many cases, they are hotels who take who who take rooms out of inventory and they're more profitable than they were before because they're selling fewer rooms at a higher rate and they're not having to service those rooms. So it's a really interesting conundrum. Um, but for folks like me, it, you know, all adds up to the fact that we're not operating at full capacity. And and that's a loss for North Carolina, for taxpayers, for tax revenue, um, for business owners and operators.
1: What about construction of uh, new restaurants, especially fast food restaurants? Uh, has that, I'm sure it's slowed down. How much has that slowed down?
2: You know, uh, we are still seeing folks building restaurants, opening new concepts and opening new hotels. Uh, there was a study from the North Carolina Department of Commerce recently that that showed that we were you know down uh, at, I guess at the time about eight thousand jobs in the industry, but that the gap because of demand increased supply uh demonstrated that we needed about forty thousand jobs and that was you know several months ago I saw the study and so that trend continues. We continue to build restaurants and build hotels that demand more workers. And so the problem, even if we were at full capacity, we're we're still adding, product to the marketplace that means we need even more workers than we did before now those those concepts are probably different those new restaurants and new hotels are largely designed to be more uh you know efficient from a workforce standpoint uh you know the quick serve takeout ta- a counter service uh, counter service where you they call your number you pick up and, and and are seated um smaller concepts so you know they're they're modeled to be more efficient but Uh, we definitely are seeing supply across the state. Supply growth. It's interesting.
1: In in the next segment, I want to spend almost the entire segment talking about hotels and what's happening there. Uh, We've touched on it a little bit, but we'll go in much more detail. But uh, in wrapping up on the restaurant side, uh, I know the General Assembly is in session. What are the pieces of legislation that you are watching carefully as far as what you would like to see the legislature do to aid and benefit the uh, restaurants of North Carolina?
2: Well, one of the things we are always focused on is uh, alcohol reform. Our, our state has uh, you know, a very old, clunky alcohol beverage control system. Liquor is controlled and owned by the state and by local boards. There are 174 of those local boards across the state. So we're always focusing on things that we can do to make them more efficient, things like online ordering and delivery, uh, more delivery, uh, more efficient delivery system. Um, there's a happy hour bill that's being proposed and may in fact pass that would allow happy hour in North Carolina for the first time in many many years. Um, we're looking to have alcohol advertising laws modernized. Right now, you can't really advertise or show liquor products or even beer. Uh, on social media. There's some very strong restrictions around alcohol advertising. So we'd look to have some of that done. Um, and we'd like to have the ability to purchase from any ABC board. Right now, restaurants and hotels, bars, mixed beverage permittees can only buy from one liquor board. If that liquor board doesn't have the product they need, they, they can't get the product. And we'd like them to have the ability to go to a neighboring county to procure product so those are some of the things on the uh, alcohol side that we think would make restaurants um, better more efficient Uh, that's really what we're focused on for restaurants this session
1: in the next segment we're going to take uh, uh, time to talk to lynn minges about hotels in uh, and uh, what what they're doing and how they're faring in this current economy and we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages
0: you wanted to see me yes please have a seat so here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, Lynn Minges, she is the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, which represents some 20,000 restaurants across the state, some 2000 lodging businesses. And uh, interestingly enough, some, uh, they all together employ somewhere around 530,000 employees here in the state of North Carolina. (laughs) And as we've talked about, would like to probably employ some more. Uh, That was one of the things we discovered was a a major problem is a lot of businesses are finding it difficult to find uh, the workforce that they need. We have focused a lot on restaurants, Lynn, and I'd like to now turn to hotels. Um, and uh, you touched a little bit about the fact that the, the hotel business is has uh, recovered a lot and the hotels are still being constructed occupancy levels apparently are rising so what is the state of uh, the hotel industry in north carolina
2: so you know hotels are doing quite well there is strong demand for hotel rooms and so uh, occupancy is almost back to normal rates they're down just slightly, maybe two or three percentage points off, but they're back. Um, but room rates are at an all-time high. So the, the amount of money people are paying for a room in North Carolina is at an all-time high. And so that is helping to offset the little bit of loss in business that they they continue to see. The challenge they're having is that many of these hotels took on a lot of debt during covid When during the closures and capacity restrictions and the loss of big meetings and conventions. So having to kind of dig out from that, that's a big challenge for a lot of them. Um, And they are facing significant worker shortages. We keep going back to worker shortages, but if you don't have workers to service rooms, to turn rooms, you can't, you have to take those out of inventory. And so that is, that continues to hit a lot of those hotels. But business is brisk. Um, I think they're feeling pretty good about things and optimistic about the future.
1: We, uh, uh, tourism, of course, is so important, uh, and you've been involved in that for a long, long time, even prior to your uh, 10 and a half year employment uh, with the uh, North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. But uh, we are blessed with both beaches and mountains, but that's not all the tourism that occurs in North Carolina. Uh, what are some of our other sort of unknown things that happen in the the area of tourism that perhaps the general public doesn't recognize as being as important. For example, the ACC tournament in Greensboro.
2: That's right. Well, you know, we are so blessed in North Carolina. We are um, in the top 10 most visited states in America. I think we currently rank about sixth um, in terms of the number of visitors that we get in our state among the 50 states. And so that's good news. I think the reason we have so many uh visitors is that we have such a diverse product as you mentioned we have you know 300 miles of amazing coastline small fishing villages we have uh you know the highest mountains in the eastern united states that are uh, obviously lures to many leisure travelers but i think we've done a good job in this state of building capacity with sporting events you mentioned the acc tournament but there's sporting events panthers games hurricane games um all kinds of sporting events and tournaments all over the state almost on a daily basis um, in addition to that, we have you know concerts and other festivals and events that draw lots and lots of folks. We've done a good job in recent years of building out rural tourism, and that's kind of the, the unknown. I think this is the year of the trails where we're encouraging North Carolinians to get out and discover our many North Carolina state parks. We are just blessed with just incredible state parks with hikes and trails and all kinds of things to see and do. So those are the the kinds of things that get people off the beaten path into some of the more undiscovered parts of our state. You know, with that, we've got pottery and Asheboro, North Carolina, um, you know, just all kinds of amazing things throughout our 100 counties. Um, Our state's tourism office visit and see does an incredible job of showcasing, you know, people, places, things, undiscovered venues across the state. And I would encourage your listeners to take a look at that website and some of the suggested itineraries and places and places to see and things to do. Um, They're they're just so plentiful all across North Carolina. And that's uh, we've been blessed because of that.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that uh, is probably not appreciated nearly as much as it should be is our North Carolina Zoo. It's an amazing facility.
2: It, It really is. I mean, we just have in our aquariums along the coast. Uh, great lures for for folks, Chimney Rock Park, um, the Biltmore Estate is iconic, of course. Um, you know, I think a boon and Blowing Rock is just great places to go right now. I, I guess the weather's getting a little bit warmer, but I don't know, it's been cold recently. Uh, snow skiing in the mountains, just a, a fun way to you know, work all week and take a weekend and get away. Uh, Great Wolf Lodge. I have grandchildren who have recently enjoyed a trip to Concord to the Great Wolf Lodge because there's great indoor swimming activities. So, you know, I could go on and on. We're just blessed with with rich and abundant activities, both natural and man-made events, sporting events, concerts, festivals uh, from the mountains to the coast that really do help to generate business, a brisk business year round in our state.
1: From time to time, I see reports and news stories about the economic benefits of something like the ACC tournament, for example. How do they determine? I've I've often wondered how do they come up with those numbers? Because sometimes the numbers are rather mind-blowing. They they really
2: are done. So, you know, I'm by no means an expert on how they quantify, you know, economic impact. There's some really smart research researchers and models, modelers who do that. But generally speaking, you know, what they do is they take the number of seats, the number of people that attend an event, and they uh, determine where they come from and how many room nights they would have sold. So, the further away they come, the more room nights they spend. Somebody in Raleigh probably won't stay overnight if they're attending a Raleigh event, but they look at attendance where they come from and overnight. And then you think about it in an average hotel room, you have two people and uh, those people, if they stay a day, they're going to eat three meals, four meals out. And so they quantify, you know, the average uh, cost of that. Um, so they, it, there's a multiplier effect, but the numbers are pretty accurate, I think. And um, I think folks are cautious to under-report rather than over-report some of those economic models, but it's, it's mind-blowing to see the, the multiplier effect that takes place when large-scale events come into communities.
1: Well, I would imagine, we mentioned the ACC tournament, for example, I would imagine that uh, uh, since it's not there in Greensboro every year, they have the alternate years to compare with. And so in that particular case, they can look at retail sales and Occupancy and all that sort of things, and actually, that would probably help them verify those numbers. But the yeah, numbers but I, are 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 mind-boggling to me sometimes when you they talk about the economic benefit of uh, uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes or the Panthers or the Hornets or whatever. It, it's uh, it, it, we have this unbelievable desire. Uh, to spend money going to the athletic contest and I'm right there with them I mean I do it yeah that's <laughs> and, right and we forget that is that is actually travel and tourism
2: that's right it's big business across our state uh, last year we collected 300 million dollars in occupancy tax revenues if you think about it, that's just the 7% that we collect you know the ta- the 7% occupancy tax uh, that exists across the state that we collect from from overnight visitors uh, so the numbers are are staggering they're they're really how much? 700 million 3 300 million in just occupancy tax mm-hmm.
1: and that goes basically to the counties is that correct
2: it does and so that's an important part of the model too is that um that money that occupancy tax entirely goes to the county that collects it and then their local tourism authorities that determine how they spend those dollars in in wake county for example you mentioned the hurricanes um, stadium series uh, outdoor event they hosted recently that had just staggering economic impact. The Raleigh Conventions and Visitors Bureau Board used part of their occupancy tax revenues to help lure that event and to help underwrite that event and support that event. So, you know, the idea, the concept is you collect an occupancy tax, you spend that to generate more revenue. And the model works pretty well across the state. We have you know, a hundred counties. we have at least a hundred tourism authorities across North Carolina who market their own destinations. And then we have Visit and that's funded by the general fund. The legislature funds that every year at around 15 to 20 million, kind of depending on the amount that's available to them. And they do a phenomenal job of keeping North Carolina top of mind. And and in their work, they mark, and I used to be there, as you know, um, still work very closely and serve on their board of directors. But they market North Carolina in states from which we draw visitors. So New York, Georgia, Florida, uh, where a lot of our North Carolina visitors come from. Um, Their focus is largely marketing the state to external markets and to international markets. North Carolina is a strong international destination. We've enjoyed great success with many of the direct flights we have now coming into North Carolina um, that have really helped to drive a a new influx of international visitors to our state. And the, the interesting thing is many people come and visit our state and have such a great experience that they choose to move here from either international or other other state uh, locations. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing our population base continue to grow. It's uh, largely fueled first by tourism and then by the decision to to relocate or to move a business to our state.
1: So we spent a good bit of time earlier talking about the challenges that are that the uh, restaurants are having what are some of the challenges that you see for your hotel and motel members
2: you know i i think the hotels are 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 similarly having you know the same challenges with workforce a lot of the challenges are are the same um we're always focused on the hotel side around tourism promotion that we just talked about um we try to protect occupancy taxes to make sure that units of local government don't try to siphon off those those taxes that are really earmarked for marketing and promotion. They don't try to siphon those off for other things that should be paid for with public funds. And so we are kind of the gatekeeper of that. We make sure that legislation uh, doesn't get introduced that would um, kind of breach that understanding of what those occupancy taxes are are all about. And uh, we do spend quite a bit of time at the General Assembly doing just that. We've had five or six of those bills introduced this session. Um, We're focused on school calendar laws. That's a hot topic of debate. There have been probably 15 bills introduced this session that would authorize uh, local school boards to deviate from the current school calendar law which dictates that school can't begin until like the week before labor day or can't, it has to get out the week before can't has, can't start before the week before labor day and has to get out the week after uh late memorial day and um you know there are a lot of school boards who would like to change that have kids starting back in early august or you know staying through later in june and that really depletes that important summer season for the tourism industry but it also further exacerbates the workforce challenges because we don't have students if students have to go back to school teachers have to go back to school families have to get back to school it really means that a lot of those workers um you know aren't available for summer work experiences so uh, that's an issue that we're keenly focused on um and then um you know, we we always are, are trying to, you know, make sure that funding for tourism marketing and promotion is protected and is invested wisely. So, you know, those are some of the things that we continue to be focused on um, specifically for hotels, but impact the hospitality industry at large. I mentioned one more uh, interesting note is that we're seeing a rising uh, cost of credit card transaction fees, uh, interchange fees, they're called. And um, you know, we're beginning to raise the question of why a business owner, a or a hotelier that collects these tax and occupancy tax, a prepared meals tax and a sales tax, in some cases, as much as 13% tax onto the hotel bill, um, they're paying significant credit card transaction charges. And obviously they have to do that for their business, but for the 13% tax they they uh, accumulate, uh, you know, the question is, the past- they be paying those credit card transaction fees? So you know, questions like that are ones we always try to ask and try to seek some uh, some clarity on, and uh, you know, things like that or reforms will get done one day, maybe not this session, but one day.
1: Well, That's an interesting thing about uh, because the credit card fee would be on the total amount of the transaction, and uh, about as you said, about twelve or thirteen percent of that is a pass through. So uh, it's uh, they're paying a they're paying a fee on something that they never have an opportunity to make anything, that's, that's, that's right. And there's
2: several states that are taking a look at that and 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 doing away with those fees. So that's something we're watching closely and, and may do here in North Carolina at some point.
1: Our guest is Lynn Menjies. She is the president and CEO and has been for 10 and a half years of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. We have one final segment, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, actually some things we've already talked about and also... Uh, bring up some other issues when we come back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. And we'll do that right after these messages.
2: I spend a lot
0: of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can
1: prevent wildfires.
0: Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon.
2: Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A
0: message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Lynn Menges is our guest. She is the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, and has been for 10 and a half years, and prior to that, she was also very active in the Department of Commerce, working with travel and tourism and uh, has uh, been on our program a number of times. Uh, She uh, has just had an outstanding career. She's a graduate, by the way, of Peace College at North Carolina State University. And uh, like uh, me, she enjoys time at the Crystal Coast in North Carolina when they are taking vacation time. When um, we were talking about uh, uh, the biggest problem, I guess, overall, of all the issues we've talked about, it is employment. And even though the uh, employers of the members, and you've got 20,000 restaurant members and 2,000 hotels and motels employing 530,000 employees, but that's still a major problem. And I don't know how many jobs go open, maybe as many as what, 45 or 50,000, something like that.
2: I think that's right.
1: you mentioned that some other things that you're doing uh to work on that problem because as we have established earlier this is not a short-term problem this is a long-term problem as well as short-term
2: it, it is a long-term problem and we're we're very blessed that the general assembly um during its, during the last session awarded us 5 million dollars this is a part of the state's american rescue plan fund so we have 5 million dollars that we're currently um investing in rebuilding our workforce. We began uh, about midway through last year uh, doing some research with uh, business owners and operators to understand more about their business challenges, to understand how it's impacting their business, and I've shared some of that with you already. We then did a second study of current employees in the industry, former employees, those who've left the industry over the last two years, or a pool of folks who have never worked in the industry, but might work in the industry. And the goal there was to try to understand more about you know, what folks liked and didn't like, uh, what they enjoyed about their work, what they would change, how they found their job, uh, advice they would give to business owners who were looking to recruit, you know, where you would find more of those kind of workers. And um, we got some amazing data from that that research, just really good in-depth data. We're taking all of that research right now, and we're in the process of awarding a a contract, about $4.5 million, to a marketing firm here in North Carolina who will execute a marketing campaign to help us rebuild our workforce. Um, Messaging, largely from what we heard from both the employees and the employers, is that we need to do a better job of focusing on professional growth opportunities in the industry. Talking about career advancement. Um, It's interesting to note that the average wage of a restaurant or hotel manager in North Carolina, this is the average, is $62,000 a year. Um, That's not bad wages. And the the time frame from where somebody can enter the industry to the time they could be a manager is a pretty short period of time, can be two or three years. Many of these companies, restaurants and hotels, you know, you take some of the larger brands, they do a phenomenal job of uh, but taking good, smart people who have fire in the belly and are willing to work hard and bring them through management training programs so that they can escalate those that career uh, path advancement pretty quickly. So we need to do a better job of telling that story. That's one of the things we're focused on. We need to talk about the personal uh, growth that folks experience in the industry Many of us, Don, I don't know about you, but many of us, you know, have worked in restaurants and hotels at some point in our lifetime. And, you know, folks who have done that tell me time and time again that they learn team building skills. They learn how to solve problems. They need learn how to uh, multitask and work at a pretty quick pace and make quick decisions. Um, They learn to negotiate and find win-win solutions. And those are the kind of life experiences that translate well into most anything folks want to do with their lives. Um, you know, ours is an industry that is diverse, probably more diverse than any other. We accept people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, um, all cultures. They all meld together in kitchens and and, in hotels across our state. And um, we need to do a better job of talking about that. So, you know, those are some of the things that we're focused on right now. Um, I'll also say that we're really broadening our reach as we try to rebuild the workforce uh, by focusing on Um, You know, folks who are looking for second chances. They may have been homeless. Ours is an industry that can take those people, train them pretty quickly and give them meaningful work. Former substance abusers. Um, We're targeting what we call opportunity youth. And those are young folks between the ages of 18 and 24 who are currently not working and currently not in school. Uh, We're working through UNC School of Government on a program to outreach, you know, to reach to those folks and try to connect them with the industry. Um, working with career and technical education programs in high schools across North Carolina and with our community college and you know university system to try to attract students who have interest in culinary and hospitality. So those are some of the things we're focused on right now. Um, the funds that have been made available to us are certainly going to help in a big way to get that messaging out to folks, to reach some of those uh, prospective candidates who we, we expect will take jobs in the sector. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. That's
1: for sure. Well, one of the things that anytime the state uh, invests in putting people to work is a, is a reward for them as well, because all of a sudden they become taxpayers. And so there more money, there's more money in the state treasury because people, more people are working. You know, every time I've ever participated in any kind of a study like you were talking about, there's always a, one or two things that just wiped us out because it was such a surprise. Uh, as you look back on the results of that study or those studies that you have done, what uh, what did you find that was just really sort of very surprising to you, and something that uh, revolutionized your thinking to some degree?
2: Well, you know, I think of the folks who have worked in the industry; they held a much higher regard for the industry and the work uh, of the industry. They talked about having fun at work. Um, the the uh, the, the gentleman who was conducting the focus group, one of the focus groups asked, uh, you know, if you could have a career in working in a restaurant or hotel or working in a bank, which would you choose? And surprisingly, those who worked in the industry or had worked in the industry said all day, you know, we'd rather work in a restaurant or hotel. It's a lot more fun. Every day is different. We meet interesting people. We feel reward from helping people have a good day, celebrate a birthday or anniversary. And, um, they enjoyed the fast pace uh and the you know just the atmosphere of working in the hospitality industry so that was i guess reaffirming maybe not so much a surprise but i don't recall hearing from people who worked in the industry i don't recall from a single one of them complain about the pay we think that we assume that you know the perception is we have low wage jobs but people who work in the industry you know waiters wait staff um they make a pretty good living and you know it's and, and the uh you know, opportunities for increased wages is great. If folks stick around 30 days, 60 days, 90 days or longer, um, you know, the revenue comes. There was some, you know, concern about the unpredictability of scheduling. In other words, you know, they don't know how many servers they need until they have reservations. And so frequently the the, the number of hours folks work can fluctuate from, from week to week. Now there's some concern around that, but nobody talked about the pay as being a, a downside in the industry. Most of them felt that they were fairly compensated for the work that they did, generally speaking. Um, but a, a kind of another aha, and uh, I think we all can relate to that. And uh, many of these folks talked about the reason they left was that people were rude, and I think I see that myself. You know, on the on the on the highway and retail stores, people are generally short and impatient. Maybe we. We got that during COVID, I don't know, Uh, but often, you know, customers take that out sometimes on those who are trying to serve and help them. And, you know, when you've got, when you're in a restaurant or hotel or retail store for that matter, and, you know, they don't have enough workers, uh, they're doing the best they can to try to, to try to serve. And, um, you know, sometimes customers can be maybe not so thoughtful and appreciative uh, of those who are trying to help them. And we did hear that from time to time, so that's another area of opportunity, I think, for us to encourage people to just be nice, be kind, be considerate. Um, so we'll we'll focus on that too.
1: Well, I, I I'm often remember of the prayer that people submit to, uh, uh, and it says, "Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now."
2: <laughs> that's about right. That's about right, Don. I'll mention well, a, another program okay, that we're focused. Uh, another focus program Lord. that we're focused on. And that is, uh, we are working on a grant with the North Carolina Department of Commerce of $1.1 million to offer free training to people who are interested in entering the hospitality career, to people who are current employees and are looking to enhance their skills. Uh, They may be new to the industry, they may be students. We have $1.1 million of training funds. Uh, These are all online courses and folks who want to learn more can go to our website ncrla.training to get information and all anybody has to do is just literally go to the website apply and they can then take any of these free courses you know how to be a hotel general manager how to be a certified restaurant manager restaurant uh, supervisor uh, hotel front desk attendant these are uh, pretty quick and easy courses that range you know some of them 30 minutes to an hour uh, some of them are longer form courses of course the value of those courses ranges from you know $50 to $2000 But all of those free of charge to people who are interested in training to become certified, credentialed um, or trained for careers at all levels of the industry. So encourage folks to take a look at that. And we're trying to get that word out to potential uh, new recruits or those who want to upskill for careers in the industry.
1: I'm assuming that the the, uh, community college system is probably a great assistance to your organization.
2: They are the great partners. Uh, they do they they frequently tell us that they have jobs for every single student they turn out in culinary and hospitality. Um, but our business the business community does work very closely with community colleges all over the state, and they are a great resource for training and preparing individuals for careers in the industry. So we do work very closely with them, and they are helping to uh, deliver some of the training that we're offering at no cost.
1: Well, then you gave us a summary earlier of some of the things that are happening in the general assembly you've got about one minute so what's at the top of your list as uh you work with the general assembly in session right now and setting their budgets
2: really we're just asking them do no harm i mean this is not the time to put new mandates or restrictions of any kind on business owners uh we're trying to rebuild and so we ask for you know patience as we uh continue to to rebound um We're also, you know, focused on uh, investing tax dollars wisely in things like career and technical education programming, um, and we're, you know, supporting funds for the Department of Agriculture to do marketing and promotion of North Carolina products to food service establishments. Uh, We've already talked about ABC reforms that are much needed. Um, We are focused on... uh, You know, just all kinds of um, hotel tenancy bill. We got clarity around uh, hotel tenancy recently that defines when a hotel resident becomes a a permanent resident, a hotel guest becomes a resident. The law now says 90 days, unless that's vetoed by the governor, but we expect it will hold. Um, And then school calendar. That's really what we're focused on largely this session, but look forward to a good legislative session. We're playing offense this year, hopefully not defense.
1: Our guest has been Lynn Menjes, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. So until next week, same time, same station. Hope you and yours have a very good week.